You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 224, Karen Swallow Pryor and the Spiritual Practice of Reading Fiction. I love this one. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. Man, there are almost one and a half million podcasts. You could have listened to any one of them, but you downloaded halfway there. So thank you so much for being here. If you're so inclined, you want to help out, you feel led to, to help keep the show running, go over to patreon.com slash halfway there. We appreciate that support. Um, today, we're going to have a really great conversation with, with a great guest. She is the research professor of English and Christianity and culture. So that's all really fun stuff there, right? At Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, our guest is Karen Swallow Prayer. Karen, welcome to Halfway There. Thanks for having me, Eric. I'm grateful uh, that you're here. I've, I've been following you on Twitter for a while, and I know lots of my friends really, really appreciate you and your work. And so it's really just fun to kind of make the acquaintance and hear a little bit of your story. Well, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's fantastic. I just gave that one little slice of who you are, but you're also an author and uh, you're a Twitter boss. I first found you on Twitter. So like, what, what else do you, can tell us a little more about who you are and where God has you right now? Yeah, well, of course, my official title that you just um, gave sort of does uh, tap into everything. I'm um, a research professor of English and Christianity and culture. It's a long title because it (laughs) kind of encompasses all that I do um, or try to do and have been doing. Um, Of course, I am an English professor. I have been for um, 21 years, even longer than that, actually. Um, and uh, just recently moved to, to Southeastern um, this, this current school year. Um, so I teach English and I read literature and I write about literature and reading. Um, but I'm also in reading literature and what I love about literature is what it teaches us about human history, human nature, mm-hmm. the human condition. And we can read texts from the Middle Ages or the 18th century and learn a lot that will help us today. So I'm very interested in culture. And of course, as a Christian, I'm very interested in how all of these things that we can learn from literature and culture can help us to understand and live out our faith better. So I teach, I write, I tweet. I love it. I love it. Which Twitter is such an interesting literary place, right? Mm. Like, because people have, it's a whole different way of writing that maybe hasn't existed before. It's kind of cool. Well, actually, it it has not existed in this form, but I ah. think that what one thing that draws me to Twitter um, is that brevity and that sharp wit that is required to write a, sh- well, you know, a well-crafted short um, statement is, uh, is seen in my area of specialty, which is 18th century British literature. So like Alexander Pope's heroic couplets were like these pithy statements. Um, and so it's just, it's just interesting to see human nature kind of repeat itself in its aesthetic yeah. forms. So. Yeah. hundred percent. Isn't that interesting? So, so is what you're saying that Twitter really is just a technological like advance on something else that we've already done? Well, it's it, it's more than that, but it's definitely that. I mean, okay. I, I <laughs> so it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's connected, right? And so that's right, kind of right. that's where you're going. I think that's so fascinating. Completely agree. 
you know, I, it's, it's too big of a question to ask it this way, but I feel like one of the problems with evangelicals in particular and America in general is that we don't have a very good literary base, right? Or we're doing the best, our teachers are doing the best they can to teach all the things, right? But there's so much they have to teach. And there's, there's, we just don't have that base of, you know, of learning literary, you know. Yeah, I think, I think the problem is, and is, it's because we, not just in schools, but also in America and evangelicalism, we focus so much on content, like what something says, when to understand literature is all, is really about understanding the form. Um, And we don't pay attention to that enough um, in our modern, late modern culture. So, right. Which also is a hundred percent applicable to the Bible, right? I mean, right. Historical and literary context, both matter. So, Mm Uh, interesting. Okay. So I love all that. And we could probably geek out for a couple of hours <laughs> on that culture piece. I, I'm sure we'll come back. I'm sure it comes up at various times in your story, but I want to hear your story because that's what Halfway There is about. So I don't, I, this is what I love. I, I know of you, but I don't really know you. So I, I can't, I don't know where you're from. I don't know any of those things. I'm just going to be curious. So like, where, where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up. Um, I am um, a, a born and bred Yankee, <laughs> grew up, uh, was born and raised in Maine. Uh, so you can't get more Northeast than yeah, that. Right. Eventually, I eventually moved to um, Western New York, uh, you know, in, in my in my childhood, teenage years. Um, and so I was born in the, and raised in the secular, liberal, independent-minded Northeast. Um, and so that matters in the sense that growing up, I was you know, I grew up in a Christian family and was a Christian from a young age, but that was not the environment that I, that I lived in. I didn't have friends who were Christians. I didn't have friends who went to church. Um, so it was, you know, I never really fit in. Um, and my faith never fit it, fit in. And I think that has a lot, kind of has mm. a lot to do with how I've learned to live it out now. Yeah. So that was going to be my question because, uh, the Northeast, I definitely don't think Christian family, right? right? That's not my first inclination. So it sounds like your family was, was a little countercultural in that way. Yeah. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, my, my Christian roots go back quite a ways on my mother's side. Um, so there is a, there's a strain there, but, but in a very, you know, we were very rural and, um, poor. I mean, my, my family wasn't poor, but that my, my, you know, my generations before were poor. So there was a, there was a sense of faith there, but it was an old fashioned kind, um, mm. not the culture wars kind that, you know, yeah, that yeah. was mine in the eighties. Okay. So. Well, that's interesting. So what, what do you mean old fashioned? Um, well, I mean, my grandparents, um, you know, this is, we're talking about the, the, you know, the early decades of the, of the 20th century. My, my grandparents, um, who lived, you know, who lived off the land literally took a, sled through the snow (laughs) to church every Sunday morning, um, hours before church began to start the fire so that the church would be warm in the, in the main winters. Um, and they didn't like, this was before they had a car. (laughs) So, um, so it's, you know, it was woven into the fabric of the, of life, but not as self-conscious and aware, um, as someone who, you know, uh, as, you know, as, as we've become, I guess, in this age and, but not necessarily, um, 
doctrinally as doctrinally rigorous as you know mm. I've come to be. So yeah, yeah. So when did your when did you become aware of your faith, and when did you when did it kind of become personal? Yeah. So I actually um, because my parents were they had um, switched from being Methodist so that was that was the, my family background um, to Baptist when I was when I was about five years old because um, I had already been like baptized or christened in the Methodist church. But when we started attending a Baptist church, maybe I was about five or seven. Um, I had already, you know, I already knew Jesus as my savior. I, I know that I, that I'm barely aware mm. of any time when I didn't, but going to a Baptist church, I eventually um, became baptized by immersion. And so I, you know, I sense that as really my, my um, moment of really being aware and making a conscious commitment and decision um, and, you know, I grew up going to church regularly and even teaching Sunday school. I began teaching Sunday school when I was a teenager because we just went to a really tiny church and there weren't oh, many yeah. people. Yeah. Um, you're willing, you're called, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, <laughs> oh, it's, you know, I've just been a Christian for almost my entire life. Yeah. Which is a great story, right? That's, that's certainly the one I hope my children tell someday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Okay. So, so you did, and obviously you were probably discipled. Is there, as you were growing, right? So is there, is there anything in that sort of early, in your early years, maybe college or whatever, I don't know, that stands out to you as far as um, like important moments for you with God and, and learning kind of who he is and who he was calling you to be? I think most of my um, uh, important moments during that sort of developing stage um, in my adolescence and early adulthood was um, pretty much was resisting him. Um, mm. Not my faith, not, you know, not, not having doubts, but there was just a way that I, you know, I remember, um, so not to focus on the negative, but, you know, I, I just remember uh, being a youth and going to the youth group and having an overnighter and our youth pastor telling us about how he burned all his records um when he was you know when he became a christian in college and i just i i just thought that was dumb <laughs> <laughs> and i it wasn't even i wasn't not even in a it wasn't even out of rebellion i just could not buy that way of living and thinking in the world and so i began to sense that the life of the mind and the intellect and reading and art and literature that I loved so much um, that I had to choose between the two. Um, I write about this actually a lot in my first book, which is, uh, you know, just sort of like uh, one that most people don't know about. It wasn't uh, published by a, you know, a regular evangelical Christian publisher, but booked literature in the soul of me. I talk about how, um, I, I chose the life of books and reading in the mind um, over God for a long time and did not know how to really integrate them until I was in grad school. And that's when everything kind of fell together, came together. But um, but yeah, I, I just could not reconcile um, the way that I thought, the way that I needed to live in the world, which was to use my mind, to ask questions, to engage uh, in culture and this kind of uh, thinking that would burn records or pull <laughs> kids out of school because we were, the chorus was singing the wrong song or something, which is something else that happened in my school. So, yeah. Oh man. I remember those days. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure if it's a day, if it's like a, a phase, like a kind of a, a developmental growth kind of phase. I know, 
kind of think it was for me, but because I do, I did have one of those moments in high school where I like destroyed all my secular music and I was just listening to my Christian music, right? But then later <laughs> in college, I was like, that's dumb. I love Bon Jovi, which is, you know, halfway there, a little hat <laughs> tip to Bon Jovi, right? So I'm like, I, I'm going to listen to it. And so, um, yeah, I totally, I, I relate to that, but that's interesting. So you could never, you never thought, hey, I am just going to like, reject the culture and go into into the faith so you were kind of rejecting the faith because of the way it was presented to you because the way it was being lived out yeah i mean i did i was never rejecting jesus or my personal faith or never had any kinds of doubts like that but i was definitely uh, rejecting churchianity or or you know christian culture evangelical Um, culture yeah evangelical culture yeah that's very interesting. How'd you resolve that? Or how did that, you said later, it kind of, yeah. your grad school. Well, I, it was, it's a couple sort of um, things that happened. Um, I mean, I, um, I got married young and uh, the church that we went to, uh, the, 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 the pastor that married us was uh, discipled us well. Um, and, and that I was go- in grad school at that time as well. And which was a very hostile environment to Christianity. And so it was really, it was so hostile that I knew I had to choose. Um, I had to choose between the world and God. And I I chose God and then, you know, the faith. I mean, I hadn't rejected him anyway, but I I chose, um, chose God. Also, the culture wars were kind of ramping up. Those were the 80s. And uh, I also chose, you know, the church's side in the culture wars. And so, um, so it, you know, I, I mean, we all know that time. It was it was the ch- culture wars in the church, but also a, uh, a time when conservative and liberal culture outside the church was was growing. Um, just all all of the polarization that I think we're seeing the roots of now. Oh yeah. Um, were were birthed then, and um, so I was formed by those things. But of course, uh, now coming out on the other side, I'm also seeing you know the kind of um, bad fruit that that <laughs> mentality has, has born. So, yeah. I know it's interesting. So we're recording this a little before the election in 2020 and it'll be out after the election. So it'll be kind of interesting, right? Like, and it'll be bad no matter what the outcome is. It'll I'm, be sure, I'm sure of that. No I'm sure what. of that. <laughs> yeah. I keep saying, I think, and, and you know, okay, this is, rec- nobody will know this, but I keep saying that I think whatever happens is going to seem completely obvious. <laughs> When we're, when it's <laughs> right, done. right, right. Gonna, we're gonna be like, of right. course, that's what happened, right? Yeah, I mean, the history books, you know, fifty or hundred years from now are going to be fascinating, and and the people reading them will be like, well, of course, what did they think was going to happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was there an event that made you go, I have to choose, or was it just like this kind of a period of time, or was it like? Yeah, well, I I I would say that the the there was kind of an event. Um, and the event was that uh, a crisis pregnancy center came to our church and did a presentation on, um, on, on them, their services, but on abortion also. And abortion was not something I had really thought much about at all as a human being or as, as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they did this presentation, I became like instant, instantly pro-life. Um, and I wanted to do something. And so I actually, this activist kind of fire (laughs) was lit in me that was, you know, was around abortion, but also just about, um, 
I mean, that was the issue of that day, but it was also about um, justice and human flourishing and, 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 and our culture. And so there are so many issues that that applies to, but I, that activist spirit that was born is one that is informed my, my Christian faith, but lived out because of my conviction that we are as Christians, we are supposed to um, make the world a better place for everyone, um, which includes a lot of, you know, a lot of people and a lot of issues. But that was the one that really kind of made me see that I had to choose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. We have to bring the kingdom of God to bear, right, mm-hmm. on the people and lives around us. And uh, it's interesting, different people choose to do that differently, right? Right, <laughs> right. However right. they're called. So, Fascinating. Okay. So you kind of became an activist uh, that way. Yes. Did I, I saw this on Twitter and I, I was going to ask you about it because, and I, because I'm, I'm curious if it's true. Like somebody said you'd been to jail five times. Uh, yes. Was, that, was when, somebody making that up or was that true? No, it's true. It's true. Okay. Tell me that. It's story. true. <laughs> uh, well, because when I, uh, you know, I became uh, converted to the pro-life yeah, I was wondering. Was, was- yeah, it was in the middle. You know, it was in the late '80s when Operation Rescue was kind of uh, making a national appearance, and so um, my the church that I attended and other churches in where I lived became involved in um, in Operation Rescue. But more than that, also sidewalk counseling and protesting, um, and so I. Um, got involved in that and just ended up being arrested five times for protesting. Wow. Okay. Well that's, so that's serious. Like you're not, you're not like, okay, yeah, I'm pro-life and I'm going to vote it in. You're like, I'm going to go out and do something. What's it like being arrested? Oh, well there, you know, there are different circumstances and some of the circumstances we were actually like, maybe just, I don't remember. Um, two or three of them I was arrested for sitting in front of a clinic peacefully and then being um, carried away by the police in an act of civil disobedience. Um, And other ones were just uh, sort of a form of harassment. Like I was accused of trespassing when I was trying to talk to um, patients going into the clinics and and you, they would just call the police and you would get arrested and then you would get let out and the charge would be dropped because it, I wasn't really trespassing or something like that. Yeah, because so they're not just, gonna. Yeah, yeah. They're just trying to get you out of the way. Yeah, but the longest <laughs> time, yeah. I mean, the lo- I think I was in jail for like four days at one time. Really, a big protest. Yeah. So, yeah. what is it that makes you like do that? Because here's the thing: the reality is, most people aren't going to be mm-hmm. that serious about that. They're willing to spend four mm-hmm. days in jail for an issue. So, what is it about you that like you're willing to do that? Um, you know, I, I, I mean, a part of it was, I mean, I am, uh, I think there's something constitutional about me that I, um, I, I am, I, 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 (laughs) I'm stupid. No, um, no, 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 no. Um, (laughs) No, you're passionate. I think you're passionate. passionate, But I'm also, my strongest spiritual gift is, um, is prophecy. So it's actually Uh, very hard for me to not say things and not do things and not confront. It's very hard. So that when discipline, you know, to be disciplined for me is to 
hold back, um, Mm -hmm. whether it's speaking or doing. Um, The other thing is, of course, this is, I mean, this is true of us all. This was a movement, right? Um, It was, uh, and it was, you know, it didn't last for a long time. I mean, basically what ended the movement was the fact that the federal government stepped in and started and and passed a federal legislation ramping up basically putting that kind of protest into an entirely different category where you, rather than being charged with like local um, violations or misdemeanors of trespass or obstruction of justice or, you know, these minor charges, you would be charged with, you know, a federal offense that could put you in prison and t- garnish your wage- wages for your life or take away your home. Wow. So, you know, mo- that that's puts it in a different ballpark. Um but so being part of a community, um, you know, whether a good community or bad community, those things shape us and they, they mm-hmm. move us and they form us. And I was in a community at that time um, that really shaped and formed me. And I'm, I, I'm still part of, um, I'm still great close to so many of those people. And the times changed and tactics and strategies changed. The passion and commitment hasn't changed. Um, but yeah. yeah. I love that. Well, wow. so how tell tell me about kind of discovering that you kind of wanted to dig into the literary uh kind of world. Like how how did that go for you? Yeah, I mean, I I grew up reading. I mean, I just was a voracious reader from the very beginning. Books, I mean, my whole life centered around books when I was a little girl. I didn't do mm. didn't do sports, didn't have a lot of friends. Um just read most of the time. And uh but I didn't and I did of course did well in English and school, but did had no idea. Um, I mean, I don't come from an academic family. I had no idea that people could seriously study English. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I didn't know what that was like. I just, you know, thought it was a fun class in school. So I actually went to college starting out as a social work major um, and quickly discovered that that was not a good fit. And, but also discovered that I loved my college English classes. That was just like, I, I, again, I didn't know that people could study literature academically as opposed to just something fun. Uh, and so I switched to be an English major and, um, I didn't know, I didn't, I, at that point I didn't want to teach. Uh, and so I didn't know what to do with my degree. So I just decided to, um, applied to a PhD program and I got in and that's when I started teaching and discovered what I was created to do. Wow. On accident? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Accident. Pretty much. I had no idea, no idea that I, I did. I thought I didn't want to teach. And then I, um, you know, all the grad students were teaching and I got an assistantship and I started teaching and I just loved it. So. What do you like about teaching? Well, part of it, I mean, I do have the spiritual gift of teaching, but it, mm. but it is the prophecy more, right? So part of it for me is like making the world right, teaching people the right way to think and what, uh, <laughs> what to yes. think. And, um, and I, I mean, I think I, you know, that's how I treat Twitter and Facebook too. I, you know, I use them as opportunities to teach and not that I'm, you know, it's not that I know all the right answers, but I want to model how to learn, how to ask the right questions, mm. how to engage, um, I, I love teaching because I love learning. So it's kind of a reciprocal process. Yeah. They go hand in hand, don't they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You said this a couple of times. And so now I'm really curious about, you know, your spiritual gifting. So you, the gift of prophecy. Okay. That's not either a Methodist or a Baptist kind of language, right? Really? 
Uh, uh, well, don't, I think the Baptist, we always take those tests to see what our spiritual gift is. <laughs> that's, right. that's very Baptist. We just, yeah, yeah, people mean different things by prophecy, I think. So. Okay, maybe. Yeah. yeah so what, yeah. what, tell, what do you mean by it? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, you know, the sort of conventional Baptist anyway, definition of prophecy is just, um, you know, truth telling. Like yeah, it's yeah. sort of a, it's, 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 it's a cause and effect. It's like, I can see that if this happens, this is what will happen next. So stop it. <laughs> you know? yes. um, so, you know, I, I think there's a, but I also, you know, there is more to it than that. I think too. Um, I don't know what that is, but uh, I definitely feel it a lot in these times it makes it hard to mm. live in these times. Very hard. Actually. The first time that I, um, that I, realized I, you know, I had this gift of prophecy that was, makes me very restless was when I, it's a long story, but when I discovered that someone I was, we were attending church with a woman um, was having an affair um, with, uh, with a neighbor. And I, I couldn't sleep until I talked to her. Like I just, I couldn't sleep. Um, it was just such a burden to me. Like I had this, you know, that I could not let that go on and I had to confront her. And I was very, I was young that I was probably in my, you know, I was in my twenties or something. Um, and I, I just didn't know what that meant that I couldn't sleep until I, until I talked to her. And so, um, that's when I realized that this, this stuff weighs me down and I have to do something about it. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, my wife has that same gift, and so I'm very familiar with like, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm so like, sorry. It's not, I mean, it's, yeah. it's interesting, right? It's it, it definitely has its moments when you're like, okay, let it go. You're going to be fine, <laughs> which is what I would do. But then she's got to be faithful to her, who she is too, right? And mm-hmm. so do you. So there, there is that God gave the, gives that gift for a reason. Yeah. What, what do you think the reason that you have that is? That's speculation, maybe, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I believe this is, uh, I, yeah, I mean, God, obviously, God, God gives gifts uh, to us as He wills, and um, I don't really know how to explain why. I think, I think the real question for me is, how do I steward that well wherever I am, and mm. you know, whatever the times are, that's that's really um, the big question, so that I can fulfill you know i can kind of answer that question like why do i have it now why 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 you know in this time in this place so yeah and in retrospect things are always easier to kind of see those things for sure yeah there's a bumper sticker that says i'm god's favorite (laughs) (laughs) have you ever seen that no but i love that you know, I, I do sometimes feel like that. I think we should all feel uh, like that. I want that for everyone. Um, I do feel like, you know, I certainly have not had, I, I mean, God has, um, I have felt his love in so, so many ways. Um, but one way that was, that was just, you know, that I'm just every single day like all almost all day long or different points in the day so thankful for and i've written about this it's out there on the internet somewhere but a few years ago um our beloved um dog ruby ran away and was missing for four days and you know we didn't know 
where, you know, we've, I've had dogs all my life and animals and they die and that's hard, very hard. But when an animal is like missing like that and you don't know what happened to them, that's a different kind of pain. Um, it was very, it was very, very traumatic. It was probably, I was hit by a bus a couple years ago, oh uh, which was its own tra- trauma. Um, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. And uh, this was actually more traumatic than that. Um, but on the, you know, on the fourth day, a Sunday um, in church, and I mean, it was just very, very hard. And I was just begging and pleading with God, please let this be the day she comes home, please, please. I was just um, completely torn up. And and that is the day we got the phone call from the person who found her. Uh, and she's, you know, she's, she had been hit by a car, um, but she's fine. She was, she's fine now. Um, and uh, I just felt, you know, it was like I was at my breaking point, literally, and God mm. just, you know, brought her back to us. And uh, yeah, and then I got hit by a bus <laughs> not long yeah. after that. So. I think I remember that. Did you tweet? Yeah. You, did you share that on social? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. 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 So that was a little, that was, uh, it was two, a little over two years ago. Two years ago. Oh, my goodness. That, so, that's so, got to be tough. Yeah. It, it was, that was, yeah, that was very, very tough, but I feel God's love in that. I mean, that he, he preserved my life and, uh, it was a very, um, weird experience, um, for a lot of reasons. It feels, felt very, um, <laughs> mystical in some ways. Oh, okay. Um, so you but, don't have to share if you don't want it, yeah, but now I have yeah. to know what that means. Cause what, what, what? <laughs> Uh-huh. You know, it's all up to you, but if, is that, yeah, uh, well, it, um, in this, there are other people who've said this. I mean, it happened in the middle of, um, um, a denominational crisis and in, in the Southern Baptist convention where I had been speaking out against, um, sex abuse of mm. uh, like <laughs> misogyny and, and cover up of sex abuse by, what you know a leader and then all those who supported him and um the day that i got hit by the bus was the same day that a an important decision was being made about this that was yeah. the wrong decision and uh it's it's all it's also just sort of connected but it just there's a sense i have of this kind of spiritual warfare that's going around on around us all the time that we don't even, you know, real Frank Peretti type of thing, even though I never read mm-hmm. that book. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> this present darkness, you know, there's, know you know, year. it's going around on around us all the time. And it's, and, and, um, and I felt like I walked into the middle of that and, uh, uh-huh. and I came out alive and I'm thankful to the Lord. That's interesting. Did you feel like just engaging the issue and speaking out publicly walked you into the middle of it? And then maybe the bus was like a, was like a spiritual hit job or what? Like what? Yeah, no, I, well, I had, I, you know, I was there for a, 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 I was there where I was hit for a conference, uh, a small conference of women to talk about the place and state and state of women within the evangelical church. And mm, I, yeah, I yeah. didn't, instead of making the conference, I got hit by the bus and the other, some of the other people who were at the conference, just, they talked about what a metaphor that was, you know, kind of an, in an old Testament kind of way, a metaphor for, um, you know, what had been happening to women mm. in the church for so long um, that, wow. you know, we were being thrown under the bus in a yeah. way. And uh, so, you know, it's, you know, I, I can't explain that these spiritual things and I don't presume to try to explain them. Yeah. All I can say is that for me, I feel like I had a kind of spiritual awakening um, 
through that experience and um, felt the Lord's, uh, you know, the Lord loving and protecting me even through such a terrible thing that, you know, that I otherwise would wish hadn't happened. Right. Of course. That's a tough part about being a prophet, right? Is your whole life is a, is a, is a metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh man. Wow. Wow. What, so what, what was different for you with God after that? Um, just as I guess, you know, I've always, always had this, uh, always intellectually, always, always thought about how my life is in his hands, you know, and, you know, you fly in an airplane and, you know, your life is in, you know, I think I always thought about those things all the time that's all in God's hands. Um, but after the accident, I just knew it in a way that went far beyond the intellect and the mind. Um, it's just part of my visceral sense of being, uh, yeah. in my body and my bones, you know, that I'm in his, I'm in his hands. Yeah. In a way that you couldn't have known without having the experience, right? Mm-hmm. See, that's what I think right. is so fascinating about the spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm, I, you know, I'm MDiv, so I've done a fair bit degree of academic work, but I'm mm-hmm. not convinced you can know everything about God theologically or with mm-hmm. your brain, right? You have right. to actually experience him mm-hmm. and experience his goodness to you or mm-hmm. his provision or whatever those things are. And, and sometimes you have to experience his absence or felt mm-hmm. absence, right? In mm-hmm. order to, to mm-hmm. learn some things, which is why we talk about experience on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think it's a little bit neglected. Like we don't, we don't talk right. about it. Enough. Right. And it, it's one way of knowing. Right. right, right. And I mean, even just the experience of trauma, you know, I, I, I consider, you know, I wanted to be a social work major, I consider myself a pretty empathetic person. Um, but I realized I had no idea what trauma is or does. Wow. I, you know, I, I, I listened to people, I agreed with them, I understood in my head what they were talking about with trauma. But I really, really did not know what trauma was. And I still, you know, to me, even being hit by a bus is not um, as, I can't, it's not as bad a trauma as, well, well, well it's like, you know, sex abuse or something, you yeah. know, as, or, or racial trauma. Um, but, but because I had this experience, I just, I have a different whole plane of knowledge about what trauma is and does that I never had before. Yeah. It's one kind of trauma, right? I mean, there's, there's yeah, lots of yeah. ways, but yeah, it right. all has this similar effects, right? And people yes. yeah. respond to it in different ways. I'm really curious about how we're going to talk about trauma in 2021 and 2022, right? Cause I think this year has been pretty traumatic for everybody. I mean, it's like the whole world is in this trauma. So um, interesting. All right. I want to talk a little bit more about, kind of reading and and literature and just how you see that people um or people can read right and how they how they can um benefit from reading things like classics right so your your book i have your book here on reading well which i think is just super fascinating i love that um because you have this kind of message like hey we can learn some things from these <laughs> books right like mm-hmm. like there's actually that's the reason we tell stories is so that we can learn things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe we're missing it in, as evangelicals sometimes. Mm. Yeah. I mean, especially the thinkers and the theologians and the philosophers, uh, I love them all, but we do that. The evangelicals who read and, and, and appreciate the life of the intellect are often the ones who 
are prone to be dismissive of of fiction uh, because it's you know it's it's yes yeah yeah yes. Um, when in fact uh, if you're if you're reading with a critical mind you're you're not only learning uh, from these classic works of literature about the universal truths of human nature and the human condition, but you're also, ex- again, experiencing them, yes, vicariously, but you are experiencing um, the events, these stories in ways that you don't experience when you're just reading about them. Um, wow. You are seeing the world through a character's eyes and going through the process of learning and judgment as they are going through it. Um, and so it is just, it is an embodied incarnational experience. Um, so you can, you know, you wow. can learn about, you can read about murder and prostitution uh, and draw opinions about it. We should have opinions about that. Or you can <laughs> read crime and punishment Yes. Kind of how you can experience what it's like to think, um, you know, like someone who wants to, you know, uh, commit such an act as an, as a, as a form of will to power. Right. Um, Oh yeah. That's such a great book too. That's like, mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. I totally agree. So I'm, I'm one of those people who, like when everybody, when the evangelical leaders or some evangelical leaders were saying, don't read Harry Potter, I was like, well, I'm going to read it. <laughs> so good for we, you. We read it and, I, and then we were hooked. I'm like, I love it. And it turned out the, you know, I think the message of Harry Potter is mm-hmm. sacrificial love overcomes evil, right? I'm like, oh, that seems like a pretty, a fairly biblical theme to me, <laughs> right? Like, okay. Uh, but yeah, we miss, like, we miss that if we're, if we're too critical and we don't, and we don't, engage in fiction right mm-hmm. um why so and you talk about being being having a critical mind and just talk you know you don't read it absent-mindedly right or just mm-hmm. taking them but but read it for what's there like how do people how do people do that well i mean of course and please understand that um that you know i my air my love is is classic literature literary works there there are popular works of fiction out there and I, and I and and they're wonderful I listen to them on audible mm. when I run um but um you know so so the, but the works of literature that treat language itself as an art that's what that's what divides the line between literature and all other written material is it uses literature attempts to use language artfully to use words to recreate experience Hmm, okay. Okay. I don't think I've ever heard that. Yeah, but that's great. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, so if you think of paint, you know, you can use paint to cover a wall, but it, that's not an attempt to be art. But when mm. someone uses paint to try to recreate some experience, then it's art. I mean, it could be good art or bad art, but, and it's the sure. same with literature. So literature is using, and it's, the lines are not very, it's not like there's a, a, a bright line between what's not literary and what is literary but there's an, at least an attempt um to use literature to to use words in a way that recreates experience as a work of art um and so you know i'm talking about ser- serious literature even though there's nothing wrong with reading yeah, yeah, you know, yeah fun things um but it's we are living in a in a post-literate culture 
we are losing the ability, to, and this goes back to something we talked about at the beginning of the show, like so often even in schools, uh, when literature is taught, it's about, oh, what happened here and what's this theme? And that, mm-hmm. there's, that, that's wonderful. We can talk about themes, but we've lost the ability or we're losing the ability to think about, well, how does the way the language is used or the way the story is told, how does that change the experience? Because it's the, it's the form that yeah. is the message. You know, the medium is the message. The form is the yep. message. And, and it's the same with Twitter, we, we, like we talked about before. So, you know, if a, for example, uh, if a story is told, you know, from one point of view, it's a different story than it would be if from another point of view. Or if it's told out of order, we can use film as an example. You know, any f- things that are told out of order have a different effect. So we need to pay more attention to form because if we don't pay attention to form, we are going to be the ones. This makes us susceptible to the people who do know how to use form and to use right. language. Right. right. Yes. Like, our, like our president is a master he, I was gonna, yes. with the form of Twitter. We, he is, he, this is, he is so good at using that form to achieve what he wants to achieve. Right. That we are fools to not understand how that works. And we are, it, it, it works. And we are all the poorer for not understanding how these, how 100%. these things work. Right. Okay. But that's gets to the real crux of it, right? Because there is so much, if you, if you just write off social media and you go, oh, it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. this big waste of time. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Then you've missed it, right? You've lost the opportunity right. to actually engage mm-hmm. and understand what's happening in your mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. and shape it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why I have a podcast, right? This is why this is why we do this, and which is why I spend so much time on Twitter. I mean, it's become perhaps becomes to a, a vice at some point, but this is this is a mission field. This yes. is where, this is where the culture is, um, and this is where we're going to. This is where the culture is being shaped is on social media. It's not the only 100%. place. I mean, you, you know, film is still important. Books are still important, yeah. of course, but I but. Our whole culture, the outcome of our election is all is is being shaped most by social media. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Which is really interesting. Facebook has completely shut down a bunch of, mm-hmm. of Christian websites and and pe- people who are labeled as Christian in their algorithm, right? Mm-hmm. They, they mm-hmm. their stuff doesn't go on anywhere. I've noticed that. Or, you know, so many of sure, them, are, or the bot accounts or whatever that people, right. but, but, but the damage is already done because we, we, and, and I'm sure we, I hope we can recover, but, but people are already so easily played um, by the mm. clickbait titles or by the, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, it's so hard not to be taken in. I mean, I, you know, I'm taken in sometimes by something that's yeah. tweeted out and it's, it turns out it's fake or, or whatever it's. We are it's we re, are, are living in a new dark age in the sense that there's so much information that it's very difficult to tell yeah. truth from fact. But the real battle is making sure we at least care to tell the difference, and that's the battle I think that we are losing because we really we are we are living right now the moment that Nietzsche predicted when he talked about the death of God leading to its replacement with the will to power. That's where wow. we are right now. Wow. 
Yeah. Okay. That's that's so cheery. That's fascinating and scary. Yeah. That's what I was saying. I was like, okay, where do we go from there? I don't know. Sorry. Sorry to put a damper on on this day. (laughs) No, but I think it. I think it is true. And you know, so I I always think about was it? uh, I can't remember which one, which of the major like dystopian kind of future people like uh, Orwell or. See, I don't Huxley. want to get my name, Nate Huxley. Yeah, I don't want to get my names wrong in front of you. Um, and who who was the other one? Uh, like Gray Bradbury, right? Which mm-hmm. Fahrenheit four four eleven four four one four fifty one four fifty one. I haven't read it. Sorry, that's the one I just on my list. I need to read. It's really good. But that's what I hear. I know. I need to read. It. <laughs> I know. Um, but I keep getting books sent to me, so I've got so much to read. But the um, but anyway, one of them. Didn't one of them talk about how like just the overwhelming nature of information? I feel like Orwell kind of invented the internet, but that's kind of a that's that's my yeah. Well, Orwell talks about disinformation, which is what we're yeah 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 yeah. yeah, That's that's we are living Orwell's nightmare. Mm -hmm. I think I think we are in some ways. They're all kind of right. All right. One other thing I want to talk about. I'm just curious about your your opinions because. I just so I mentioned Harry Potter earlier. I don't know if you love Harry Potter or hate Harry Potter. I don't. Know I was too old. I, I read the. I I, did, I was old before when they came out, and so I just read the first one to see what it was all about. Okay, I'm, yeah, sure, I'm okay. sure I would have loved it when I was. Growing I thought up. they were. I thought they were fantastic. Here's here's my contention though, is that so many of these great stories come from the people that you studied, right? The 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 British writers. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. um, they're fanciful, they're, they've got this. They've got this imagination. I don't think any evangelical Christian, American evangelical, could have written a story like that. Because we don't have the imagination for putting a message into a story and letting the story share the message. How, like, I don't. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, or like, how how can yeah, we recover yeah. that? Yeah, I I do. I mean, you, where where you'll find the great um, fiction in the modern age, you know, whether you know all the way to the last century or so, um, it's not from the evangelicals. It's from the Anglicans or the Catholics or yeah. um, the Presbyterians, like Marilyn Robinson. Um, and I think evangelicals are just too earnest. I am an evangelical, so I can say this. You know, we're very mm-hmm. earnest people, um, and earnestness gets in the way of playfulness and um different perspectives and you know we just again we focus on the content we want the message to make sure that you know we want the altar call um and (laughs) we want the decision (laughs) yes they're they're antithetical to art um and so Mm. um yeah we hopefully we can come through this time period with a little bit of, of of correction of that gravitation toward an extreme i mean i mean we we don't want to go too far to the other extreme either where we you know we we lose the truth um but but we can you know good art is good because it truthfully conveys something about the human condition and the human experience right but evangelicals don't like the questions we just like the answers um, but art is not about the answers. Art is about the questions. But there, but the most important thing that we can do for the long term is to model and is for ourselves, you know, to ask the right questions in the right way and to model that. And um, and that's really what art does. Art art plays with questions. Um, oh, wow. 
and we need to be more comfortable with that. We already have the, like having the answer to me just gives us more freedom, but I don't know. We live in an age where we don't feel that freedom. We sure don't, man. That, see, that grieves me deeply. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I just feel like Mm -hmm. we've got to ask better questions Mm -hmm. and we've got to be willing to ask the Mm -hmm. questions. Mm -hmm. I think we're maybe a little bit afraid. Like if we Mm -hmm. ask the wrong question, what Mm -hmm. if we get a different answer than what we've been told? Mm -hmm. And uh, so what? Right? Like there's a, go- yeah, there's there's a lot of fear right now, and and yeah. we're being and our fears are being preyed upon and amplified. But we all know who the father of right. fear is. So yeah, it, and God is He's not changing, right? Like He's right, He's right. always the same. Yeah. So the answer, ultimately, if it's rooted in His character, is going to be the same. And right. I feel like so many people. You mentioned Southern Baptists earlier, and and. They're not the only ones, man. You can you can see this in. I grew up in the evangelical free church. You can see this in all of them. It feels to me like a lot of these traditions are fighting for their own power, their own ability mm-hmm. to control, mm-hmm. keep the money flowing. Quite frankly, instead of the ability to share the gospel and spread the kingdom, and that bothers me. I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's. Nietzsche was right. It's about power. (laughs) It is about power. And Foucault too. (laughs) What if it's not, what if it's about telling this story? Okay. So that's interesting. I don't, I I love what you said earlier about art. We have to ask the questions. That's fantastic. Wow. Okay. So people can find you at uh, KarenSwallowPrior.com and they can get your books, including this beautiful orange one that I've got here on Mm -hmm. reading well. Um, which you can, which man, if you're, if like you friends, if you are like going, you know, I'd need to do a little more reading. Like mm-hmm. what, what should I do? This is a great book to look and just kind of get some ideas about, about where you should be, should be reading for sure. Um, and, and how to read my whole introductory chapter is yes. to help encourage people who feel like they don't know how to read, you know, literary works because most people don't, unless you're in like an, been an English major. So Right. Yeah. And if you dive into that, I don't think you'll regret it. I can guarantee you not only will your reading of other works improve and you'll get more out of it and more enjoyment out of it, you'll also read scripture in a whole new way mm-hmm. as well. And that is priceless. So I love it. Um and then all of your other books, I'm gonna link those in the show notes at halfway there podcast.com. Karen, is there anything you want to leave us with? Hmm. Um, yeah, well, I would just, one of the questions we talked about possibly is just sort of the verse that, um, that has meant something to me over my life. And, um, yeah, since you talked about, uh, the way that I include scripture, um, deeply in this book, uh, I guess I would just share the verse that's helped me the most all the way, you know, actually going back to, to grad school when I was kind of trying to figure out how to live out my my life of faith in the in the face of all these questions, um, and that is a verse from Proverbs: "The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps." I just love that. It kind of shows that that relationship we have. We are responsible to think and plan, and you know, and act. Um, yet, sort of hold all those loosely and let the Lord let the yeah. Lord take those and do with them what He will. So. That's an encouragement, I hope, to people. Absolutely. And I can attest he does that 100%. So, wow, I love it. Okay, friends, you can, uh, again, KarenSwallowPrior.com or everything's in the show notes at HalfwayTherePodcast.com. 
Karen, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.